0: I'm Dave Rubin, and joining me today is the host of No Spin News and the author of the new book, Killing the Killers, The Secret War Against Terrorists, Bill O'Reilly. Welcome to The Rubin Report.
1: Thanks for having me back, Dave. Appreciate it. How are you doing?
0: Bill, I'm doing well. I have to tell you, as someone that just got my second book out, I am told, because I'm looking at the cover of your book right now, this is your 17th number one bestseller. How many, how many books have you written in the first place?
1: Uh, 25, uh, a lot of them children's books uh, off the uh, O'Reilly Factor, but uh, all of The Killing books have hit number one. And uh, The Killing series, uh, The Killing the Killers is the 11th book in the series, the most successful nonfiction book series of all time. And uh, that's pretty stunning when you think about it and humbling for me.
0: For sure. What What do you consider yourself first? I mean, do you consider yourself a pundit first or a journalist? Do you, do you consider yourself a journalist in a traditional sense, or is it an author first? Does it matter what's first?
1: I'm a journalist slash historian, master's degree in uh, broadcast journalism from Boston U, uh, network experience at CBS and ABC, seen it all, 84 countries. So I'm a journalist first, but I bring a history perspective, because I used to teach high school history. So it's an interesting combination, it served me well. So
0: let's, uh, I wanna talk about the book, obviously, but let's dive into just some of the stuff going on right now, obviously, as we're sitting here, uh, abortion and the reversal of Roe v. Wade is the big one. Uh, First off, are you shocked that putting aside the decision that we are not talking about the leak anymore, that that seems to have come and gone and is sort of irrelevant at this point? Or at least in terms of what well, the mainstream media will discuss relative to it?
1: I'm not shocked because you got Merrick Garland, the attorney general. He has no interest in finding out who leaked that out from Alito's office. Garland not have any interest in finding that out because it would hurt Biden. Um, and you have the head of the U.S. Marshals Service supervising it. No updates, no press conferences, nothing. And they're just hoping it goes away. I mean, look, we live in a country now where there really isn't a criminal justice system or a civil justice system, for that matter, anymore. It's evaporated. Now you have little fiefdoms all over the place. And the prosecutor in New York City doesn't want to uh, prosecute somebody who stabs another person. Then he's not going to prosecute. And the governors and the president and everybody else allows it to happen. So that's where we are.
0: You've been warning about this stuff for a long time. Do you, do you ever yeah. feel, boy, I, I guess I was right. They said a lot of ma- bad things about me, but I guess I was right about some of this stuff.
1: Well, when you're right, they're going to say bad things about you, Dave. That's just the way America works. If you're right, you're going to get hammered. I wrote a book called Culture Warrior way back. If you read that book, everything I said in that book, and that was a mid 2000, you know, uh, about 2004, I think came true. I could see the trend way before it happened because what we have is cowardly politicians. I mean, that's what it comes down to. 80%, maybe maybe 70% of the elected people in this country are cowards. They're not interested in helping the folks. They're interested in maintaining their power. So when you have that and you have an electorate that's largely uneducated, people don't know what the constitution is. They don't know what it says. They don't care. They want to know what the latest tweet is or what's on Instagram, and they want to spend their lives here. This is where most people live now, right here in this little machine. I want to take the time to understand what's happening and why it's happening. And when you get a voting public like that, you get California, you get New York State, you get Illinois. And that's what we have. So
0: it does that, what you're explaining right there, really is the perfect example of what's going on with the reaction to Roe v. Wade, that nobody really understands this is about states' rights and what is and isn't in the Constitution. And I guess to some extent, a certain set of the society just doesn't care what's in the Constitution. They just want it done their way.
1: Well, not just a certain portion of society. The Speaker of the House of Representatives doesn't care what's in the Constitution, nor does the President of the United States or the Senate Majority Leader Schumer. You think any three of those care what's in the Constitution? Everybody knew. Ruth Bader Ginsburg knew that the 1973 ruling whereby abortion was legal all over the United States wasn't based on the Constitution because the right of privacy is never mentioned. Now, in the criminal justice system, you have a right of sanctuary in your home. Authorities cannot come into your home without a warrant, without probable cause. And that happened because the British, the king, they were kicking doors all over the place. So the colonists had no privacy at all. Here come the troops. Boom, they'll take your house. But as far as abortion was concerned, it was never mentioned. And because it was never mentioned, it then falls under the 10th Amendment, as you know, Dave. And the 10th Amendment of the Constitution says if An issue is not clearly mentioned in the writings here, the amendments of the Constitution, the states then decide it and that's what happened
0: with Roe v. Wade. So so what do we do? What do we do right now if obviously everyone everyone in my audience watching this and hearing you knows that's true. But what do we do if basically half the country and as you just said, a huge portion of the political leadership simply don't care about the documents anymore? To me this seems like a completely intractable impasse. You know, you can't negotiate with people that don't think that the basic founding, the basic documents are good or are worthy of paying any attention to or abiding by.
1: I agree that you can't negotiate with someone like Nancy Pelosi. I mean, her own church, her own church can't negotiate with her. She wouldn't show up to a meeting with the Archbishop of San Francisco, one to discuss her advocacy for abortion. It's more than I don't want to impose my view of abortion on others. It's way more than that. Nancy Pelosi wants as many abortions in this country as possible. Now, how you can be a Roman Catholic and hold that view, it's impossible. You can't. But she doesn't care what the church says, doesn't care what the Constitution says. She is in it for power. She understands her base is left far left. She's going to pander to that base no matter what the issue is. She's like Biden. She has no core belief system at all other than I believe in power and I want it.
0: So what do you do with these? What do you do in this situation? I mean, what are what are we supposed to do? We Guys like us. There's we, nothing we, you can
1: do. <laughs> 80 million people live. voted for you Biden. You just live? Yeah. I mean, look, you could move, but where are you going to move? Florida. <laughs> Florida, go? my friend. Come on down. You're okay, still in New York. You're right, but you're still in the United States. Yes, this is so true. So if 80 million people are going to vote for a guy like Joe Biden, and believe me, if you go back and you look at what O'Reilly said in October before the November vote of 2020, I predicted everything that was gonna happen because I knew this man was not capable of doing the job. He cannot do it, all right? And everybody has to understand that. He cannot do it. And so you're putting an in incompetent, now you can say it is mental decline. I don't even get into that, I'm not a doctor. But he, I saw he couldn't campaign He couldn't utter a cogent sentence in the debates. And I went, this is trouble. But the populace hated Donald Trump so much that they put Biden in office. And so now we're all paying a price for that terrible decision. Who who do you think is
0: really running the show? I mean, it doesn't seem like you think it's Biden. Klein is
1: running the show. Ron Klein is the, is the chief of staff. And, and Susan Rice is the minister of propaganda in the sense that Rice is the ideologue, the progressive ideologue. And Klein is the administrator. But the most powerful person in the White House is uh, Jill Biden. So you don't get to talk to Joe Biden unless you go through Jill Biden. Very, very close to Nancy Reagan. And. I wrote the book Killing Reagan and Nancy, after uh, Mr. Reagan was shot, she controlled access to the president. So does Jill. Now, Jill looks to me like to be a far left zealot. She looks like she's right on board with Rice and Klain and all these others, because I don't see any moderation in that White House at all.
0: So I wanna talk to you a little bit about media. You know, obviously you have a, a, an extensive sort of remarkable uh, pedigree in mainstream media and in uh, what was once mainstream. I don't know that it's mainstream anymore. Let's say corporate press. And you're doing, you're doing the online thing now, which obviously is the future of all of this. Is there anything you miss from the daily cable news grind that you feel like you got there that you can't get doing what we're doing now?
1: Well, I was at Fox News for more than 20 years as 16 as the highest rated cable show in the country by far, by the way, it wasn't even close. And I had pretty much done all I could do uh, for the corporation. And then before that, I worked with ABC News as a correspondent, CBS as a correspondent, syndicated program called Inside Edition. So I had basically seen it and done it all in my career. And uh, when I left the Daily Grind, believe me, it was uh, because I write everything I say. I have no writers. I never have had any writers, and I design the programs. I don't have producers design them for me. Wow. I'm like Jerry Lewis. Yeah. I do. I, you know, I sweep up after everybody leaves. Uh, I get everybody coaxed. Do you even have a? Um, I mean, do you have
0: someone that's doing some fact checking on when you're writing your monologue? Yeah, fact checkers yeah. and
1: bookers. Yeah, I can't do that right. Um, but I, all the stuff that you see on screen comes from me, and I was tired, um, and it was a big change in management, as everybody knows at Fox, and it was a different crew, and I said, you know, uh, they were gunning for me, uh, the uh, far-left cadres, um, and I, I didn't think I was going to get protection, and, and it just it wasn't worth it anymore. Didn't need the money, and then when I got out of there, I said, look, The future of uh, media isn't in the corporations. They're all going to go down, and they are. Every one of them is declining dramatically. Uh, But the future is to develop a news agency that's independent from all of that and present it to the folks and see if they'll pay for it. And they are. I mean, I am making a lot of money on BillOReilly.com. I'm not in it for the money. I don't do it for that. But there are hundreds of thousands of people willing to pay for honesty. And that's what I provide. You may not agree with me, but I'm gonna back up what I say. So I thought it would work, it is working. We are the most successful news agency in the world now. We're a worldwide operation. And we combine television with radio and we got more than 300 radio stations across the country. So it's all going my way. It's an enormous amount of work, that's for sure. But I'm glad I don't answer to anybody. There's no dopey meetings. I don't have to play, uh, I never played office politics. I don't have to even be subjected to that anymore. So it's a relief.
0: Are there any lefty counterparts doing something similar to uh, what you've done, what I'm doing? Say, you know, there is this sort of broad, new sort of right-leaning conservative thing happening online that seems really robust, all sorts of different people who are more traditional conservatives, libertarians, ex-libs. There's a whole group of people doing this really successfully. Is there anyone that you see kind of from the other side that's doing it successfully that you respect, that you try to engage with? I'm having a hard time finding any of these people willing to talk.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't live in that world. Um, I get clip service and I know what people are saying, um, but I don't live in that world. But there isn't anyone on a a regular platform on the net that is looking at it from a moderate liberal point of view. No one. Is that that sad for you? Is
0: that sad for you? I mean, as you're a Long Islander, like you grew up, I know know where you grew up in Long Island. I'm a Long Islander. I grew up around a lot lot of people who were sort of moderate liberals and they seemingly just don't exist anymore.
1: They don't exist anymore and it's, too bad they don't exist anymore. I'm a registered independent. A lot of the moderate liberals have gone into the independent precincts um, now. But if you are not a doctrinaire progressive leftist, you get smeared by your own people. I mean, they'll attack you. They'll turn on you. You got It's got to be doctrinaire down the line. Look what's happening to Bill Maher. Now, Bill Maher is a very liberal person, extremely so. But he then is fed up with woke and he look he knows what's absurd because he's a comedian and that's how he makes his living. He knows Biden's absurd. He knows the whole administration is a catastrophe. Well, he says that they turn on him fast. You think he'll, so ever, he's make,
0: not, you think he'll ever fully turn and, and do the, the scariest nah, of I all
1: things? I don't think so because he lives in Hollywood. Yeah. You live in Hollywood his, his cocktail party invites are down by about 50 percent, I understand. <laughs> if he goes into traditional precincts, he'll never get invited anywhere. And that's what these people live for. That's what they live for. The social aspect of it, that kind of thing, they accept it in the bubble, Manhattan, D.C., L.A. Uh, it's boring to me. I never wanted to be in the bubble. Um, that never affected me at all. I mean, I had I produced, exec produced uh, four movies and we were nominated for three Emmys and I was shocked. The movies are really good based on the killing books, but I was stunned. We didn't win because you're not gonna give O'Reilly an entertainment Emmy. I won three news Emmys, but um, that's a bubble out there in entertainment. That's part of the reason we're in such a mess Because entertainment industry and the media, news media, they're aligned with the progressive left. And that makes the progressive left far more powerful than they would be because they don't have that great a number of people.
0: But the silver lining, of course, is that people do seem to be tuning out and tuning into some of the They are tuning out, no doubt about it. So since you are in New York and you are a true New Yorker, uh, I often show clips on my show of Kathy Hochul, a woman who nobody voted for, who seems to be probably the second most authoritarian governor we have in the country, maybe to Gavin Newsom, but she might be number one. I, you could probably throw Whitmer in there too. What, what is going on in New York? Where, where is that spirit of New York to fight back? It's against the same thing
1: woman? that we see in California and Illinois. Uh, one party in New York, Democrats outnumber Republicans two to one on the voter rolls. Uh, Kathy Hochul is uh, a person who will never solve any significant problem. She's simply not smart enough. It's not like Biden. Biden's a whole different thing. Hochul's just not smart enough and doesn't particularly care. She doesn't live in New York City. She doesn't care if the city is crime ridden, quality of life is collapsed, subways are dangerous, doesn't care. Doesn't care that six, 700,000 affluent New Yorkers have left the state. Uh, Doesn't care. Again, power, that's what she wants. She's in the machine. No bail law. She could knock that out. Doesn't care. She could fire Bragg, the uh, prosecutor in Manhattan, who won't prosecute any even violent crime. She could fire him. Won't do it. So my message to New York voters is, is this what you want? Apparently it is. Apparently it is, Dave. I don't think Long Island where I am is like that anymore. Long Island has changed, all right? But Manhattan certainly doesn't seem to care whether these people uh, destroy their own environment.
0: So to that end, what what do you make of the, the splitting of America in that way? That we're just gonna have very, very different states. As I think you know, I lived in California for the last eight years, finally moved to Florida six months ago. And as I keep telling everybody, I genuinely feel like I live in another country. You're right, I do still live in the United States, I suppose, but I live in a free state here and I did not live in a free state only 3,000 miles away.
1: Well, the social civil war is well underway. It would take a dramatic populist leader to you know, speak frankly to the nation and say, is this what you want again? It's just like New York, is this what you want? If not, let's kind of reason and find solutions to vexing problems. That's what it's all about, problem solving. Progressively, they want to knock out what America is. They don't like the country. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't want capitalism. They want equity. They want favoritism for minority groups. They want nothing to do with traditional America. But again, they're not There's about 20, 25 percent of those hate America people. And they'll never admit that, by the way. They'll always cloak it. But the rest 75 percent, if they would come together, they could overwhelm this destructive progressive movement. But again, they're lost in space, cyberspace. (laughs) And that's what that's what we have. Do you sense that maybe some of that's turning
0: around, not only because of the Roe v. Wade thing, which kicks some of this back to the States, but some of the other decisions, the the, car- the concealed carry decision, that some of this stuff is putting the power back in the hands of the people, and maybe that gets some more people to wake up?
1: No. What's gonna get people to wake up is that they don't have any money. That'll wake them up. Well, then we're on uh, our way. So- yeah, most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They spend frivolously. They don't think about the future in saving and security and the more money you have, the more power you have. They don't think about it. They want what they want when they want it. But now they have far less money than they had 18 months ago. And that's not gonna subside anytime soon. So the gasoline thing, the food thing, the clothing thing, uh, everything. That's waking up some people who go, these people hurt me. These progressives hurt me. Biden hurt me. That's far overwhelms abortion, gun control, any of that. It's that I'm getting hurt by these people. So I'm going to vote for the other people. And I think that's what you're going to see.
0: So you think we're in some kind of red wave situation? I mean, that's that's what everyone's saying. But I I keep telling people, you got to give the devil his due. It's like they can do anything right before the elections. I don't even know what I mean by that exactly, COVID-2, mail-in ballots, et cetera, et cetera. Who knows?
1: Well, it's coming down fast. So so the summer is here, and the government doesn't function in the summer, Um, and the media doesn't function either. Everybody's off, they don't care. Uh, So it fires up again after Labor Day, and that's just two months before the midterms. It's far too little time for the Biden administration to really do anything. You have a collapsing airline industry, and I'm the poster boy for that. I alerted everybody uh, that it was happening. Uh, I got hammered, but I don't care. What I did was right. It was proper. It was just. Uh, I shouldn't have cursed at the guy, but the guy deserved it. He deserved it. And I'm an Irish guy from Long Island, and, you know, you pushed me so far. But anyway, uh, I do believe that the Republicans will take the House and the Senate I think a lot of Democrats will stay home, and I think the Hispanic voting bloc will go Republican, and that'll overwhelm the progressives in November. There's about a 20% chance I'm wrong, but 80% that I'm right.
0: Since you brought it up, I have to ask, you're going to Turks and Caicos, you're ready to get on vacation, get out of there, get out of the grind. Why not just fly private, Bill? What are you doing? You got a little cash, come on.
1: Look, I get up at five in the morning, to make a 7 a.m. flight, okay? My assistant tracked the flight, plane was there, everything was fine, weather was fine. So I get to the gate, delay. Everybody's in the same boat on me. One hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. Okay, Dave, five hours. People are coming to me in JFK, at the terminal, asking me to do something, (laughs) all right, to find out if the plane's going to take off, right? So they're asking me. So all I did was walk over and ask for a supervisor. A guy who could barely speak English came out. I said, can you tell us what the situation is? He gave me attitude. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Do you think the
0: airline right? situation, that that situation where every time you go to an airport now, there's delays, cancellations, I mean, the last five times I've been to airports has been absolute disasters, uh, that that's indicative of, of sort of everything we're talking about here, that the system itself is no longer functioning properly. We don't hire functioning people. We don't hire people that speak English. No, but the bug stops with nobody, et cetera.
1: This airline thing could be solved in a week, all right? Who is the secretary of transportation, Dave? That's Gay Pete. That's what we call him on this show. Gay Pete. Okay. So Judge is in charge. If he wanted to, he could levy draconian fines on all of the airlines for being delayed for five hours for no reason. Remember, Delta Airlines flew to Turks Caicos at the same time and got off. So when JetBlue said it was weather, everyone knew they were lying. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of that. Yeah. Okay. OK, so Buddha Judge can say to the airlines, if you don't have a legitimate excuse for delay or cancellation, you're fined $250,000 per flight. You do it. Got the power to do it. Won't do it. Now, you say, well, that might not be fair. The airlines could appeal the fine and you set up a little apparatus for them to do it. But I guarantee you, if Pete Buttigieg, the director of uh, tre- Secretary of Transportation, who has the power to do it, did it, you would see remarkably the whole airline industry be responsible because they're irresponsible now. So, why doesn't Pete Buttigieg do that? I knew you were going to ask uh, that, that question. Was, Dave. It was, I coming, could it was see coming. It was coming. Right in your head. <laughs> because Pete Buttigieg, like President Biden, doesn't know what the deuce he's doing. He is a mayor of South Bend, Indiana, where his biggest decision on Thursday was, should we open the park? Okay, that's it. He doesn't know how to run anything. He's an affirmative action hire.
0: Yeah, that's why we Everyone call him Pete. here.
1: Pete Buttigieg knows it. The Biden administration came in, didn't hire on merit. Who can we find out who really understands transportation so we don't have supply line problems? And we can get the airlines regulated so they take off. Who can we get? Who really knows? That wasn't it. It was well. We need a, a lifestyle guy. Here's Pete. Okay. Kamala Harris. Is she qualified to run the president to run the uh, United States of America, Dave? Is Kamala Harris qualified to run it? Well, this she, country?
0: she does know that Ukraine is small and that Russia is big. That counts as something, doesn't it?
1: No. <laughs> uh, she's there because. She's an affirmative action hire. So when you have an incompetent at the top, Biden, he's comfortable hiring other incompetents. That's the way it is, that's what we have.
0: All right, so let's move from incompetence to perhaps some competence that could maybe get involved in this. Obviously, you're an admirer and friend of uh, President Trump and you guys did your tour together for quite some time. Uh, we've got a great situation going on here in Florida with Ron DeSantis. What, what do you make of what's going to happen with the Republicans? And, and do you have any insight into what Trump's going to do? I mean, it, it all seems like he's going that every day. It's another hint. That seems where it's all headed, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, no doubt Trump wants to run for president in 24. He's raising money to do so. He hasn't announced because if he announces now in uh, 22 campaign finance laws immediately kick in, that will constrict his fundraising for his political action committees. So he's not going to formally announce till next year. Um, Donald Trump has problems, no doubt about it. Uh, He didn't handle uh, the 6th, January 6th thing well. Uh, He continues to harp on the election, which is not a good political way to be because he does have a strong record.
0: Have you said so that if to you him? Look, have if you, you said detach, that to him about, the, oh, about January 6th? Yeah.
1: yeah, he doesn't listen to anybody. Donald Trump never listens to anybody. It's part of his charm. He never has listened to anybody. The only person on earth that Donald Trump ever listened to was his father, Fred Trump, okay? And that was about business, not politics. So anyway, um, Donald Trump, if you, and that's what the history tour that I went out with Trump on, If you look at the way he ran the country, he was very successful because he ran it on a deal-making opposition. The reason they didn't have trouble with Putin is because Trump made a deal with Putin. I don't know what that deal is, but they had a deal. Now, Putin's hackers, they caused a little bit of trouble, but Putin himself didn't. As soon as Trump was gone, Taliban in Afghanistan, Putin in Russia, and myriad others said, okay, now we got a weak guy. We don't have Trump because Trump's He's gonna hurt us, and that's why I wrote Killing the Killers. I show you, in that book, how Trump handled ISIS, Al Qaeda, and the Iranians. And I tell you, it was pretty tough. I don't think you could get tougher. All right, and nobody knows about this. It's all classified information we have in Killing the Killers. But anyway, Trump ran the country, in my opinion, but I'm not some guy who comes in and I just root for people, I don't do that. Uh, he ran a country well. Donald Trump did. Um, but he doesn't even campaign on that. It's all about the election. The election's not going to be overturned. And here's the real kicker on it. If Trump is reelected, he could then appoint a special counsel to investigate the election. He'd have the power to do that. But to just run around and keep doing it and doing, it, people are tired of it. So he's not a lock. DeSantis, as you mentioned, ran Florida pretty pretty well, or is running Florida pretty well, conservative doctrinaire. Um, So DeSantis would be a formidable opponent.
0: So let's shift a little bit to the book because you talk about some of the way that Trump ran policy to get some of these things done when we ran foreign policy somewhat effectively, uh, unlike what we're doing today. Um, You've done obviously many of these books. I mean, first off, where where did the original idea for the killing series
1: come from? Me, all the ideas come from me. Um, so I wanted to, uh, use my knowledge of history, uh, to inform people about their country, uh, in an entertaining way. And it's, as I mentioned, succeeded beyond anyone's expectations. So what we did with killing the killers was I, I know everybody, Dave, I know everybody. you've been around the block, man. So. I contacted the National Security Advisors, beginning with David Petraeus and the Bush administration, all the way up to the end of the Trump administration. And I told them, they're all men, I said, look, I need to know what happened in certain areas. I'm not going to quote you. I'm not going to use your name. It's just background. Tell me the truth. But I will verify it in other places. And they all did. So I got amazing stuff, stuff nobody's ever heard before. So
0: how do they, how do they go about doing that? I'm always amazed by that. So are they redacting, are they redacting specific locations? Like you're getting general locations and then you slightly have to change them? No, no,
1: no. I I say, look, you waxed Stolomani. Stolomani got waxed. Okay. How did that happen? And they tell a story. And I write it down and I put it in the book.
0: (laughs) But there's got to be some stuff they're telling you you can't write down, right?
1: Oh, I didn't leave anything out. I didn't leave anything out. Soleimani is the most powerful person in Iran, more powerful than uh, the Ayatollah or like al okay? And the way that America tracked and assassinated him, it's unbelievable. Remember, Trump spent $1.4 trillion on the military. Nobody knows where that money went. A lot of it went into space, surveillance, and weaponry, stuff China and Russia don't have. What we have, and all of that is in a book. And when people read the book, and hundreds of thousands bought it, uh, they're going, whoa. Because a regular reporter will never get that stuff. Ever. In a million years. And then when somebody would tell me something about Soleimani, or we opened with the Bin Laden raid, what really happened, and we ended with the debacle of Biden in Afghanistan. So that's how the, the book is all throughout that time frame. But when I got information, I verified it through people who were there. Okay. On the raids themselves. And that's what you call reporting and killing the killer is the best reporting I've ever done in my career. How would you
0: grade our mission? If you go from exactly what you said, the book covers from the assassination of Bin Laden, taking out Bin Laden to the disastrous way we left Afghanistan. I mean, can you put a grade on that? Or I guess there's a curve. Well,
1: the thing I say is that Americans are well protected by the CIA and NSA, National Security Agency. Those agencies work very effectively. Unfortunately, they don't have any sway inside the United States. And we have an open border inexplicably why Biden did that. Nobody, nobody knows. But terrorists have gotten in through that Southern border. Now the FBI takes that over. And I have no confidence at this point in history in the FBI. None. So there's a time bomb. But overseas, we put a hurt on those people. Afghanistan, uh, you know, al Qaeda's is there reconstituting. But we can listen to almost every one of their transmissions. Same thing at ISIS in Iraq. Boko Haram in Africa. We have ground troops in Africa right now as we're speaking. Nobody knows it. They're fighting the ISIS people and Boko Haram people there. So Americans are well protected from overseas jihadists, but is a growing threat within. What, what did you
0: learn about the uh, Afghanistan withdrawal that perhaps we don't know? Oh, it's ridiculous. We don't know. I mean, we yeah, all saw the totally images. Totally ridiculous. But yeah, yeah. Right.
1: So every national security person told Biden, you can't do this. You can't cut and run. You've got to keep Bagram Air Force Base, and I've been to Bagram, I've been to Afghanistan. You've got to keep that as a safe zone, all right? It's got to be armed, you've got to have air power there, you've got to keep the terrorists incarcerated there. Can't give it up. Biden rejected all of it, just gave it up, along with all of our military equipment. He let 1,000 hardcore terrorists out of Bagram prison. One of those terrorists, Three days later, killed 13 U.S. service people at the Kabul airport. Biden has no clue about anything. And that, you know, people say, oh, Riley, you know, you hate him and you're an ideologue. I'm not. This is a flat out analysis. The man cannot understand, does not have the intellectual capacity to understand what is happening in this world. Well,
0: that's a scary thought, huh?
1: He's the second worst president in our history so far in 18 months. Only James Buchanan, who pretty much caused the Civil War before Lincoln, tops him. Maybe Biden will make a stunning comeback. I guess it's possible, but I don't think so.
0: So when we left, and it was a disaster on all fronts, uh, were you able to talk to any of our generals who, I mean, they didn't get what they wanted in terms of- I would
1: never talk to a general. Ever on any project would I speak with a general. Generals are not in the business of telling anyone the truth. They're in the business of keeping their power. So generals are not in. I talked to, look, I know what happened in Afghanistan because I know people- who advised Biden against it, see? And so I know that Biden rejected everything that was presented to him for a cut and run strategy that was, you know, embarrassing for and emboldened Putin and everybody else all over the world.
0: All right, Bill, I know you're tight on time here. So now, you know, when you often uh, have ended your shows with the final word and your final thoughts, I always try to end my shows, giving people a little positivity through this political madness that we are in right now, because it always feels like it's just getting worse and crazier and all of those things. Um, so despite Biden, despite the craziness of the woke, despite all the stuff that's happening right now and the economy and everything else, uh, what gets you going in the morning to make you wanna keep doing this when you don't have to do it and then- um, Well, to fight for my the motivation is
1: to bring information to people they they don't know. But just think back two years ago, just two years ago, The American economy was vibrant, robust, working people's wages were going up quickly. We had no supply problems, we had plenty of fuel. Gas prices hovered around $2.30. We had plenty of food, we had plenty of baby formula. We had a border that was locked down as best the government could do it with uh, the migrant intrusion cut 75%. That was just two years ago, okay? So I say to people, it's a disaster. Now, it is a disaster. But it goes in cycles. It goes in cycles. History goes in cycles. The one deserving point is people in places like New York, California, Illinois, they don't seem to be learning their lesson. So those states, I'm not sure. But the country in general will come back. As Boris Johnson said yesterday, yep, yep. when CNN tried to bait him into saying America was a fading power, Johnson said no. Our resources here, and the resources are the people, the hardworking, honest people of this country can bring this country back. But everybody needs honest information and insight in order to build that base, and that's why I'm here. Well, Bill, you were
0: the first cable news show that I was ever a guest on probably a decade ago, so I appreciate you coming on and joining me. The book is Killing the Killers. We're gonna link to it right down below. And uh, my parents often see you on the beach in Long Island. So one of these days, I'm going to bump into you
1: out there. All right, Dave. Don't frighten me, though. Yeah. <laughs> Just shut <show them. laughs> up. It'll be a subtle tap. Don't worry. Okay. Thanks, Bill. I don't Appreciate want to Rudy it. Giuliani. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the program, Dave. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>
0: Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubenreport.locals.com.